This is Unfiltered, episode 341 for December 17th. 2020. As you know perfectly well, I'm a journalist and a reporter and I follow the facts. And there has never been Which, any issues yes, in terms this. of corruption. Now, let me ask you this. Yesterday, the wait, FBI... Wait, 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 the wait, wait. FBI How do you know and, that? I'm talking about reporting and any evidence. I'm talking to you now... Okay, I would love if you guys would start doing that digging and start doing that verification. No, we're not going to do your work for you. I want to ask you a question. The FBI, it's a journalist's contrary, job. It's a journalist's job to, to, to find out if this is verified. Hello, friend, and welcome into the People's History Podcast. Hell of a day for me today over here at Jupiter Broadcasting HQ. I get into the studio. I think I'm working on an unfilter today. I've been gone for a week. I've got more clips than I know what to do with. I'm I am like coming out the wazoo with with audio that I want to play for you guys. And I get going and I'm thinking to myself, I got too much to do today. I think I better order me some food. <clears throat> you know, nothing like a good justification to order a little uh, Uber Eats. So I got to open up the app. I know I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I should be I should be saving that money to do things like buying a new chair. Cuz it's stupid chair makes so much noise but my stomach my stomach was the uh, squeak gear of the wheels at the moment so I go to order the food and uh, I get this message that my account can't be charged I think that's strange so I go to the online banking for my bank can't log in account is locked my funds are locked my account is locked what's going on here so I call up the bank and they tell me that my account has been flagged and that, sorry, Mr. Fisher, you must go in for any further information. I have to go in, in the middle of a pandemic, I think, in Washington State, where everybody is masking up. All right. So I don the mask, I get in the car. Well, actually, let's be honest, I didn't put the mask on until I got out of the car. But I get in the car and I bring the mask with me, put it on, and I go in. I put all my information in this computer, which is a touchscreen. They... they Specifically put a touchscreen kiosk in to help with pandemic traffic, a touchscreen. Then, after you put all your information into the touchscreen, you go over to the clipboard where they have a pen. Yep, and a clipboard. And you write down your name and your phone number right there so I could take a photo of everybody's name and last name and their phone number that goes to that branch. And then you go wait outside or in your car, and then they call you in because of COVID. So just as I get done putting all my information down and I start walking back to my car, they flag me down real quick. That was nice. And I, over the period of two hours, discover that I am the victim of identity theft, that they were attempting to get access to my accounts, that they had done some test deposits, and that's what had triggered them. And this whole thing comes out of nowhere. And I think to myself, well, there, well, there goes the show. You know, there goes the show. I can't do a show now after going through this. I mean, even going out in public with this Rona hairdo is just, I need a day just to recover from that. <laughs> so anyways, I think to myself, I've got to. Because frankly, I don't have another show scheduled for the rest of the year after this one. Um, I've kind of assumed that something's going to come up and I'm going to do a show. But I don't actually have anything like on the on the schedule. So I thought, I've got to do a show. This could be the last one of the year. But also, like, I've missed a week. And there's a lot going on. 
So then, of course, I had a NextCloud outage, which is fine because I was going to use Dropbox anyways, except for I'd also had a Dropbox account problem. There's all kinds of problems I'm having today, including I, I even was bit by a Gmail outage. <laughs> like, when does that happen? Uh, but, of course, I had, to use a, I had to use a program that had lost authentication with Gmail, but, of course, I didn't realize it at the time. Long story short, it's been a hell of a day. So what I have done is I kind of went through and, and refined the clips a little bit because I had so much for you guys. And, I mean, enough where I could have done a daily show, and it sometimes makes me wish I could. Patreon.com slash unfilter. But I tried to distill it down so we can get the most important conversation going, get information that I think is useful going into just the next couple of weeks. And also, I hope, give you a little bit of a way to look through some of the bullshit um, because it really <laughs> – do you remember – okay, let's start with – okay, let's just go. Let's just deep dive into some of this bullshit. How, what was it? Um, well, just before the election that we were mocking Trump for saying that we have a vaccine. And on a vaccine – We'd love to see if we could do it prior to the end of the year. But many scientists, including the president's ousted former top vaccine official, say that is overly optimistic. That's an ambitious timeline, and many health experts aren't so sure it's achievable. So many experts and doctors today immediately cast doubt on that. Experts say it, he'd be in need a miracle to be right. It would take, you know, over a year. Experts are warning that kind of timeline may be overly ambitious. Health experts pushing back. So many experts. NBC News did a fact check on this today that a coronavirus vaccine, Trump says it could come out this year, this sort of, you know, happy talk that he's doing about a vaccine. You cannot talk yourself into a vaccine. The fastest a vaccine has ever been produced from start to finish is five years. Previous vaccines have taken years to develop. History actually holds a lot of different lessons um, for us about politicians rushing to science when it comes to vaccines. Listen to how they speak, the experts, 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 and then and then calling upon history to give grandeur to her words. History teaches us lessons here. Well, history is teaching us a really interesting lesson right now. And that truly is that during the pandemic, it was just anything Trump said they would take the opposite stance of. And I think, and I'm going to make the case to you in this episode, that holding back this information, modifying the information that goes out there has killed people in this pandemic. Scenes have taken years to develop. History actually holds a lot of different lessons um, for us about politicians rushing to science when it comes to vaccines. Will we get the best vaccine in this timetable uh, or will we just get a vaccine. This kind of promise is clearly political, but it's also remarkably dangerous. Says the clearly political actor who is doing something that was remarkably dangerous. This was the stoking doubt that has this was what stoked the initial doubt on the vaccine to begin with. And now the conversations, oh, why don't people trust the experts? Why do they hate Bill Gates? Why don't they believe us when we say take the vaccine? After weeks it Weeks and weeks. Anytime Trump would say the vaccine's just around the corner, they would lose their shit. And now, now we must we must figure out who it is that is preventing vaccine adoption and not accepting science. And the FDA could approve emergency authoriz- authorization rather for Pfizer's COVID nineteen vaccine as soon as today, but no vaccine will be effective if the people don't take it. In our series, Vaccinating America, we're looking at coronavirus vaccine hesitancy, is what it's called. 60% of Americans say they would definitely or probably get a vaccine, but another survey shows only 14% of black Americans and 34% of Latinos trust it that it will be safe. 
Well, I think I recall Kamala Harris being asked if she would take it, and she had quite a hard time answering the question. In fact, it had to come up again, and the second time she answered the question, she still didn't do a very good job. Adriana Diaz spoke to an influential local leader in Boston who's having trouble persuading people to get the shot. Adriana, good morning to you. It is a problem. It is a big problem, Yeah, it's a big problem um, because you're the one that made everybody doubt it to begin with. (laughs) You know, like it's they really created this beast. They created a beast that they are now trying to solve instead of just letting people have. Well, here's a here's something that I, I find really funny about this. Instead of letting people just say my body, my choice, my body, my choice can't have that. If it comes to abortions, well, then it's my body, my choice. But if it comes to a vaccine, well, fuck you and fuck your body. You're going to take it regardless of what any reactions there might be. The vaccine rollout continues, but now with a reality check, a medical regulator has revealed two health workers had allergic reactions after receiving the jab on Tuesday. Both had a medical history of significant allergic problems and are recovering well. Now, someone else here in the States, a health worker in Alaska, just had an allergic reaction today as well with no previous um, history of allergic reactions. Well, there's a report from The New York Times that there's been a severe allergic reaction uh, from a healthcare worker in Alaska after receiving the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Now, uh, they report that this person is in stable condition. Now, you might be asking yourself, Chris, how could they? Well, you're not probably saying Chris to yourself, but that's what I'd be saying to myself. Wait a minute, Chris. How can they even be talking about this? They're so in the pocket of big pharma and and they they are so one message. How could they even be talking about this because they're so afraid of stoking fears? Well, here's here's what's going on. I'll break it down for you. Two things. And it's really it's, it's an interesting insight into how the news business works. Number one. They actually say it right here at the beginning. This is your first. Well, there's a report from The New York Times that there's been a severe allergic reaction. The New York Times. If the New York Times runs a story, that gives permission to any of the establishment adjacent media to also run the story. That's just how it works. The the New York Times leads the news in that way. And when the New York Times runs something, that's permission to go with it. The other thing, the reason why you're still not seeing a lot of people talk about this, but why you're hearing this clip, that's the second reason. And that is because this is CNBC. And the financial networks will actually talk about some stories the other networks don't talk about because they have a financial impact. They'll have an impact on the market. Uh, from a healthcare worker in Alaska after receiving the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. Now, uh, they report that this person is in stable condition, um, uh, but the person had been hospitalized after uh, this allergic event. Uh, they are citing three people familiar with this event. I've reached out to Pfizer for any comment and have not heard back yet, but we'll report back. Uh, now, they're saying that it wasn't clear if the worker um, had a history of allergies, uh, but they said that the event uh, appeared to be similar to the anaphylaxis reactions that two healthcare workers in the UK uh, had after receiving the vaccine last week. Now you see Pfizer moving down there on this news. Um, and guys, so there you could be someone who has a significant uh, history of allergic reactions. Um, I don't necessarily. I wouldn't normally have considered my dad either. But I remember one of the scariest sicknesses that he ever got when I was a kid was when he got flu vaccine. And it gave him this entire body paralyzation and arthritis. His body, his fingers, everything, he was hunched over 
like a 80 year old man. You know, my big strong dad was all hunched over like an 80 year old man and all his parts were all stiff and he was really in a hell of a lot of pain. And it was, the doctor said, an allergic reaction to the flu vaccine. I went, holy shit, you can have an allergic reaction to the flu vaccine? Of course, I was a kid, right? But now I'm really getting in trouble here because I'm not allowed to talk about the vaccine in anything but a positive way. I'm only allowed to talk about the coronavirus if I'm scared of it. And I'm only allowed to talk about masks if it's positive. And I'm only allowed to talk about the vaccine in a really limited way. And that's only if it's positive. And anytime I do anything else, I essentially am t- I'm touching the third rail. And someone's gonna, someone out there after this episode comes out will yell at me in one of the many ways people can yell at me via the Internet. So this, the situation, I think, with the way that the media portrays stories, the way they made everything Trump said a negative, regardless if it was true or not about the pandemic and the way they've communicated with the vaccine before the election and now after the election has spread so much disinformation. And I think that I think that leads to more people dying in a pandemic. But instead of me sitting here getting on a soapbox and me telling you about it, I'm going to have Dr. Corey testify. I play I'm going to play some audio for you and I'm going to just let him put it all out there so you can get a picture of what kind of information that isn't allowed. And it's information that can save lives. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. But the conversation, it needs, it needs to be had and the information needs to be verified. And the only way that happens is if it's allowed out. Now, instead of me explaining who Dr. Corey is, I thought I'd just play his introduction here. Our next witness is here in person, Dr. Pierre Corey. Dr. Corey is the former associate professor in chief of the critical care service and medical director of the trauma and life support center at the University of Wisconsin and recently joined the ICU service at Aurora St. Luke Medical Center in Milwaukee. He is board certified in critical medicine, <clears throat> pulmonary diseases, and internal medicine. Dr. Corey has traveled across multiple states in the U.S. to care for COVID-19 patients throughout the pandemic. He is also the president of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance, a nonprofit organization of critical care specialists led by Professor Paul Merrick whose mission over the last nine months is focused on the research and development of effective treatment protocols for COVID-19 using repurposed drugs. Now, I grant you, um, he doesn't have the medical qualifications of uh, Anderson Cooper and uh, Bill Gates, but I think maybe he's qualified to speak on this. Oh, and he's also testified to the Senate before as well. He received his MD from St. George's University School of Medicine, and I'll I'll only add that uh, we added Dr. Corey very late to our, I think, a hearing in May uh, because I'd heard of uh, his development of, I guess, anti-inflammatory steroids in critical care on COVID. And Dr. Corey, I have to tell you, I've had doctors come up to me and thank me for holding that hearing where they listen to you change their thinking. They believe they've saved their patients' lives because of your testimony at that hearing. I, I hope your testimony will be as impactful today. If you didn't catch it, it was his it was his group and his his science, his his data, quote unquote, his science that showed that if you use steroids therapeutically during a certain phase, the patient recovers a lot quicker and a lot um, e- easier with less complications, which now here we are, of course, after Trump after Trump got sick, one of the first things they did was they shot him up with steroids. That was his science, this guy's science that led to that. So. Dr. Corey kind of knows his shit. He knows a little bit of what he's talking about. He also happens to, he didn't mention in the intro, but he also happens to specialize in the lungs. And he's returning to testify on a topic that 
has had zero discussion. It's had zero play. And you can tell as, as someone who is treating people who are dying from this, he's pissed about it. He's pissed that this isn't getting discussion. He's pissed that there's a way to save lives. And he's pissed that he knows it. And he's still having to watch people die. I just want to start out. I didn't think I'd have to say this, but I want to register my offense at the ranking member's opening statement. I was discredited as a politician. I am a physician and a man of science. That was not the introduction I played for you. That was a separate introduction. A Democrat introduced him. Because this is going against the narrative, of course, it's become a political thing. I've done nothing, nothing but commit myself to scientific truth and the care of patients. And, and to hear that I'm here because of a political angle, I am not a politician, I'm a physician. I want to start out by saying that I'm not speaking as an individual, I'm speaking on behalf of the organization that I'm a part of. We are a group of some of the most highly published physicians in the world. We have near 2,000 peer-reviewed publications among us, led by Dr. Prof uh, Professor Paul Marek, who's our intellectual leader, we came together early on in the pandemic, and all we have sought is to review the world's literature on every facet of this disease, trying to develop effective protocols. You just mentioned that I was here in May, and I touted, I wouldn't say touted, I recommended that it was critical that we use corticosteroids in this disease, when all of the national and international healthcare organizations said we cannot use those. That turned out to be a <clears throat> life-saving recommendation. And that's actually a, a, a good point, because at the time he was saying steroids could save lives, the established science on the topic, the old science on the topic, the old data said that wasn't true. And he was one of the first to push back on that. Now, sure, he studies infectious diseases. Of course, he specializes in the lungs. But he's pleading that we just talk about this new data that they've run trials against and they show that there is existing, cheap, available medicine we could use. Now, don't conflate with that me saying we don't need a vaccine. The two could easily work hand in hand. We could use the vaccine, especially for high-risk people who need it right now. And then if there is something out there that could be taken proactively or right after you get sick that maybe even has some data that shows it helps – wouldn't you want to have further conversation and discussion about that, especially if it's someone who's an extremely well-accredited medical professional who is reviewing several studies? It just seems – well, it seems, it seems almost criminal that this isn't shared, that you have to listen to this on a podcast instead of getting this on the nightly news. I am here again today with a new recommendation. In the last nine months, in our review of all of the literature as a group <clears> – <throat> Again, we are some of the most highly published physicians in our specialty and the world. We have done nothing but try to figure out how to identify a repurposed and available drug to treat this illness. We have now come to the conclusion after nine months, and I, I have to point out, I am severely troubled by the fact that the NIH, the FDA, and the CDC, I do not know of any task force that was assigned or compiled to review repurposed drugs in an attempt to treat this disease. Why wasn't that done on day one? Why wasn't that done? Is that a failure of leadership by the Trump administration or some other layer of government? That seems like a fuck obvious way to go. 
Hey, do we? Hey, this is a coronavirus. Yes, it's new, hence novel. But we know about the coronavirus. Do we have anything else that we might be able to repurpose? Let's look at the books. Let's start testing that. Why isn't that on? You could do two things at once. You could fund and initiate development of a vaccine and spur that off while also looking in to see if anything else that we already have works. I mean, that's just mind boggling. But that's not even the main point. The FDA and the CDC, I do not know of any task force that was assigned or compiled to review repurposed drugs in an attempt to treat this disease. Everything has been about novel and or expensive pharmaceutically engineered drugs, things like tocilizumab and rendesivir and monoclonal antibodies and vaccines. We have 100 years of medicine development. We know we are expert in all the medicines we use, and I do not know of a task force that has been focused on repurposed drugs. I will tell you that my group and our organization, I will say that we have filled that void. We, that is all we have done is focus on the things we know and things we do. And I'm here to tell you, Dr. Ryder, he just presented. It was one, he has one study of the many that I want to talk about. And I want to talk about that we have a solution to this crisis. There is a drug that is proving to be of miraculous impact. And when I say miracle, I do not use that term lightly. And I don't want to be sensationalized when I say that. That is a scientific recommendation based on mountains of data that has emerged in the last three months. When I am told, and I just had to hear this in the opening sentence, that we are touting things that are not FDA or NIH recommended, let me be clear. The NIH, their recommendation on Evermectin, which is to not use it outside of controlled trials, is from August 27th. We are now in December. This is three to four months later. Mountains of data have emerged from all, from many centers and countries around the world showing the miraculous effectiveness of ivermectin. It basically obliterates transmission of this virus. If you take it, you will not get sick. I want to briefly summarize the data. My manuscript, again, published by some of the, 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 the most, con we have contributed more to the medical knowledge of our specialty in our careers than, than anyone else can claim as a group. And our manuscript, which was posted on Medicine Preprint Server, details all of this evidence. I want to briefly summarize it. Number one, we have evidence that ivermectin is effective not only in prophylaxis, in the prevention. If you take it, you will not get sick. We just came across a trial last night from Argentina by the lead investigator of ivermectin in Argentina, Dr. Hector Carvalho. They prophylaxed 800 healthcare workers. Not one got sick. In the 400 that they didn't prophylax with ivermectin, 58% got sick. 237 of those 400 got sick. If you take it, you will not get sick. It has immense and potent antiviral activity. We know that from the first study in Monash, it has made the bench to the bedside. Prophylaxis, we now have four large randomized controlled trials totaling over 1,500 patients, each trial showing that as a prophylaxis agent, it is immensely effective. You will not get sick. You will be protected from getting ill if you take it. <clears throat> In early outpatient treatment, we have three randomized controlled trials and multiple observation as well as case series showing that if you take ivermectin, the need for hospitalization 
and death will decrease. The most profound evidence we have is in the hospitalized patients. We have four randomized control trials there, multiple observation trials, all showing the same thing. You will not die, or you will die at much, much, much lower rates. Statistically significant, large magnitude results if you take ivermectin. It is proving to be a wonder drug. It has already won the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 2015 for its impacts on global health in the eradication of parasitic diseases. It is proving to be an immensely powerful antiviral and anti-inflammatory agent. It is critical for its use in this disease. We, again, stand by our manuscript. It is a scientific manuscript. It's been submitted for peer review. But please recognize, peer review takes time. It takes months. We do not have months. We have 100,000 patients in the hospital right now dying. I'm a lung specialist. I'm an ICU specialist. I've cared for more dying COVID patients than anyone can imagine. They're dying because they can't breathe. They can't breathe. They're on high flow <clears throat> oxygen delivery devices. They're on non-invasive ventilators and or they're sedated and paralyzed and attached to mechanical ventilators that breathe for them. And I watch them every day. They die. By the time they get me in the ICU, they're already dying. They're almost impossible to recover. Early treatment is key. We need to offload the hospitals. We are tired. I can't keep doing this. If you look at my manuscript and if I have to go back to work next week, any further deaths are going to be needless deaths, and I cannot be traumatized by that. I cannot keep caring for patients when I know that they could have been saved with earlier treatment, and that drug that will treat them and prevent the hospitalization is ivermectin. I can't keep doing this. Is he a Trump troll? Is he Russian disinformation? I don't think so. I think that's a conversation that's worth having. It sounds like they've done a lot of study there. Sounds like it needs more study. Sounds like it's a pretty low cost. And these people are already dying. <sighs> but that's just not part of the conversation. Like you said, it, it has to be one of these multi-million dollar vaccines. And I, I almost wonder if that isn't because the Trump administration was swindled by savvy businessmen. You know, they were so proud of their public-private partnerships. How many times did they get their names mentioned up at the podium during a briefing about COVID? Oh, man, they just love it. They love it. And then they got guaranteed buyers for a really exclusive product. And you think about how ineffective it was for them not to have launched a panel immediately on day one. Before the first case came to the U.S., why not? Let's look in to see if we have something that, that you know, that, that thing they're passing around over there in China. Maybe we should look into that. See if we got something for that. Apparently that, that thought crossed their mind in Argentina. But, you know, it was early days, right? It was early days in a pandemic. We didn't know how bad it was. We didn't know if we should be going down to Chinatown or not. We didn't know. But now here we are in December well, we got a lot better idea of what's going on, right? But yet, the dysfunction seems to remain. Specifically, now I speak of the stimulus. What a crap show that's been. We're only as far as we are right now as I record because Mitt Romney managed, Mitt Romney managed to get a group of senators with a soul together to start working on bipartisan legislation for some sort of crappy baby stimulus. 
And then because it looks so bad, Nancy Pelosi ended up getting sucked into going along with it. And then, thank God for Bernie, Stan- Bernie Sanders and Senator Hawley, because they actually said, we will not stop arguing. We will burn your Christmas if there aren't individual checks. And here's my take on it real quick. If you're going to start printing trillions of dollars or billions of dollars, you better start with giving money to the people. Because absolutely 100%, none of this matters if there ain't nobody there to buy all these products that everybody's getting rich on making. So (laughs) you better start stimulating the people. If you're going to start printing funny money anyways, give it to the people. And there wasn't going to be a check. There wasn't going to be a check for the people. Because, you know, they're too busy writing checks for military defense companies. No shit. I'm not joking. They're all getting money. Turned out a lot of these um, foundations that are uh, connected to these rich fucks who get super rich and then build out these foundations, they're getting bailouts. They got bailouts from the uh, Paycheck Protection Program. There's a lot of people that are getting money, but but not, not, not the American people. Not, not until, not until Sanders and uh, Hawley essentially threatened to hold the process up through Christmas. And that's and and then it started to proceed because that got attention. And that can't you don't want to look like Scrooge before Christmas during the pandemic. So with all of the optics changing and now it's not connected to Trump anymore, the pieces started to move through and instead of getting like a 3 trillion dollar stimulus package that Nancy wanted, now it's somewhere between like 900 to 500. Some are saying 600 billion, 700 billion. Senators on Capitol Hill are now working around the clock to reach an agreement on the two relief bill proposals. Now, they are just just a few days left until the Christmas holiday and time is running out. Ray Bogan reports. I think we've had a Christmas miracle occur (laughs) in Washington. Uh, We did our jobs barely. Barely. After two weeks of bipartisan negotiations, lawmakers on Capitol Hill introduced two coronavirus relief packages they hope to pass before the end of the year. Bipartisanship and compromise is alive and well in Washington. There are two separate bills. I'll note, not led by the leadership of Washington. First, a $748 billion emergency relief package covering mostly non-controversial issues. That includes an additional $300 a week in unemployment assistance, $25 billion in rental assistance, and a nationwide eviction moratorium until January 2021. Now, so how is this, how is this rental eviction moratorium going to work if you're not also moratoriuming the rent? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, the rent is still due. So... Uh, what so are you just going to give them a big old bill and then when the eviction moratorium is up they have to get out like how is this going to work sounds like people are just going to go deep into debt and 300 billion dollars in small business assistance including the paycheck protection program the team effort is an example of how congress should can and must act and work together then there's another bill for business liability protections and $160 billion in funding for state and local governments. These states just want it. They don't need it. They just want a free ride here with our money. Disagreement was so intense on those two items, lawmakers kept them separate to prevent the entire effort from failing. <laughs> Wasn't that guy a douche? Uh, yeah, so the state, that the state stuff, 
That's not happening. Clever, you know, because you know the right wants the uh, liability protections and the left wants the state stuff. So decent compromise, separating it out. They're still working on it. It may be that by the end of the week, we'll be able to merge uh, these two bills. Now that rank and file have come together with something they'll support, it's up to leadership to let them vote. Congress is also trying to find a permanent solution to fund the government next year, so coronavirus relief and funding could be done together. Ray Bogan, Fox News. Yeah, what could go wrong? Yes, so... um, as I'm recording this, we actually thought we might know more, but it looks like nothing's developed. So perhaps by the time you're listening to this, that's how soon something more could develop with that story. But I think the real story that we should be talking about isn't whatever uh, pathetic little agreement they come to finally after letting everyone just basically rot all over the summer and fall. What the real the real misplay here is and. I mean, you know it's a bad one when your local podcaster here called this one. Nancy Blewett, her original negotiation around local funding, back was it March? She blew it. And she has played a bad game all along, and it's been political the entire time. Now what she got is some chicken shit half deal that she simply is just going along with because, well, Trump's no longer the pre- no longer the president that gets credit for it. Even though he's technically, he's still the president. Although the way Washington works, you wouldn't think so. And uh, it was sent, it was Representative uh, Kenshaw. Oh, what's this guy's name? Crenshaw. He's got one of those names. It's the guy with the eye patch. Have you seen Speaker. this guy, Mr. Speaker? I rise today to unequivocally condemn in the strongest possible terms. The actions of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, just last week, referring to her obstruction of bipartisan targeted relief bills that we could have voted on on this floor, she said, quote, don't characterize what we did before as a mistake. This was not a mistake. It was a decision, end quote. When asked what had changed, why she is finally coming to the table on COVID relief, her response was simple, a new president. We've known for months that Speaker Pelosi was holding the American people hostage for political gain. I've said it. My colleagues have said it. While Americans suffered under unscientific, foolish lockdowns, Pelosi withheld relief for political purposes. That's it. That's it right there. So there'll be some $900 billion relief package is what the uh, current headlines say with some stimulus checks in there. But who knows how much at this point? It's just really, and nobody will be held accountable for it because, again, the information isn't getting put out there. The right information isn't getting shared. And this is really the theme of the entire show. I, I wondered if my favorite audio from last week that, you know, I didn't have a show last week. So I, I listened. I waited. I thought, I thought somebody will pick it up because I know some of you in the Discord heard this. But this was my favorite audio last week. This is Joe Biden talking about how. He has a special plan to resolve conflicts between him and his vice president. When we disagree, it'll be just like so far. It's been just like when Barack and I did. It's in private. She'll say, I think we should do A, B, C or D. And I'll say, I don't I like A, don't like B and C. Mm-hmm. And it's go, OK. But 
And I, like I told Barack, if, if, if I reach something where there's a, a fundamental disagreement we have based on a moral principle, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll develop some disease and say I have to resign. I just can't. <laughs> I can't believe the stuff this guy says. We've developed the largest voter fraud system. Uh, if we disagree, I'll just claim I develop a disease and resign. It's it's weird. <laughs> Why does he say this kind of stuff? And you can you know, like maybe there's some part of old Joe that like is trying to stop him because the old stutter kicks in. Right? Oh, Chris, you know, he's a stutter. You know, he's got a Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. He's yeah, I noticed. It seems like when the brain like he's checking, he's like, oh, something ain't right about this. Da, 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 da. Listen to what I'm talking about here. I'll jump when ahead. I'd love to play the whole thing. That way you can listen to Kamala in the background and go, mm-hmm. But listen, it's like it's like a background process is accessing the old hard drive, and uh, it's only spinning at 5,400 RPM these days. And so the main thread, the main process, starts to see a little performance. And I, like I told Barack, if, if, if I reach something where there's a, a fundamental disagreement we have based on a moral principle, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll develop some disease and say I have to resign. I don't know. It just can't believe that. And didn't really get any play. Didn't No, not really. Um, impressed of that, really, because, goddamn. There also, there was a podcast that uh, The Intercept put out, their deconstructed podcast, Inside Biden's Meeting with Civil Rights Leaders. Oh, man, some really great, tasty, leaked Joe Biden audio. Um, if, if you want clips of Joe Biden boasting like Donald Trump, uh, if you want to hear him just kind of randomly getting angry and shouting at people, go check it out. Inside Biden's meeting with civil rights leaders, the deconstructed podcast. I have a link in the show notes. But let's talk about Eric Swollenwell here. You you may have heard about this because this story, a lot of these stories have the Streisand effect, where when they attempt to not talk about them, more people hear about them, but then only limited bits of information. And a lot of times... People with a certain bent or influence or agenda have their take on a story. And so what we get is this really kind of piecemeal information patchwork about stories. But the Swollen Well one, this one's of specific kind of ironies that I likes to get into here on the show. Very much so. uh, Because um, Swalwell is really one of those guys I've wanted to punch in the face for a while. When you see him, go look up Eric Swalwell. Swollen wells, I like to call them. And you'll see what I'm talking about. So it turns out, likely while he was married, Swollen Well started screwing a Chinese spy. A Chinese spy who also helped fundraise for Eric, (laughs) which is just not only did she help fundraise, but she was a bundler, which means she bundled together really big money and helped launder the identities of those who contributed the money. It's tasty. And this is a Fox News alert, a blockbuster story happening on Capitol Hill this morning. Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell, who sits on the House Intel Committee, reportedly has ties to a Chinese spy, that alleged agent apparently trying to influence American politicians. And now Republican lawmakers are demanding answers. Good morning, everyone. I'm Sandra Smith. 
Yeah, this is fascinating. Sandra, good morning to you. Good morning, everyone. I'm Trace Gallagher. That report coming from Axios. Swalwell now pushing back, saying the story was released to hurt him because of his constant criticism of President Trump. Axios, by the way, is a very anti-Trump news organization, so that's ridiculous. But Tucker Carlson says it shows the top Democrat is compromised. Eric Swalwell, who has used his office to promote Beijing's talking points, almost word for word, ones that matter, by the way, a man who admits to a close personal relationship with an actual Chinese spy who helped him get elected to Congress, raised money for him, and put an intern, probably another spy, in his office, that man continues to serve on the House Intelligence Committee where he has unrestricted access to classified information. How is this happening? How is this happening? How is that happening? Um, Also, one of Dianne Feinstein's aides had ties back to this group. So you may have seen some stories recently about how Dianne Feinstein needs to retire. Even um, Chuck Schumer came out and said, yeah, her memory's not so good anymore. Well, my conspiracy bacon there is that she's compromised. Her, Her entire office is compromised. And instead of publicly shaming her and having the Democrats take a hit, they're just going to claim that she needs to retire for health reasons. She'll be the first. First, it'll be Diane. And then later on, it'll be Joe. And the reality will be is because they're both extremely compromised by the Chinese. But I, uh, what I love about Swollen Well is that he is a special kind of shithead. Uh, th- listen to ABC big him up when he, the Chinese spy compromised man, decided to run for president. Yes. Yes. Like, think about this. Think about that. With the skeletons in this guy's closet. Spy intern in his office. He literally has an affair with a beautiful Chinese spy, gets a divorce, the whole nine yards, gets a debriefing by the FBI, and then has the arrogance to run for president. Who could do such a thing? Turned out of the newest candidate for the White House overnight, Congressman Eric Swalwell, just 38, became the 18th Democrat to enter the race. And when we spoke earlier this morning, I began by asking him what sets him apart from this big pack. You know, I'm someone who grew up uh, seeing parents live paycheck to paycheck. My dad was a cop. My mom raised four boys, had a number of different jobs. They believed if they worked hard enough, I could be the first in the family to go to college. Listen to this corrupt, manipulative turd. He knows exactly what buttons to hit. He's trying to get the tone just right. That paid off. I worked as a prosecutor, went to Congress. And even today, with two kids under two, I'm paying off just under $100,000 in student loan debt. So I know why people work hard. I bring experience. Or, you know, work with Chinese spies. I'm 38 years old, but I've been on the Intelligence Committee. I know who our threats are from the outside. I know what the threats to the rule of law on the inside mean. And I think that mix will allow that promise of America, work hard, do better for yourself, dream bigger for your kids, to be reached for all Americans. You also want to make gun control a big issue, proposing a mandatory buyback of, of automatic weapons. Uh, when, when people are asked which issue they care about the most, they always put guns near the bottom. The number one cause of death uh, for a black child in America today uh, is uh, gun violence. Oh, he's really trying to sound like he cares. Uh, it's starting to, you know, rise to the top. And we saw, you know, after Parkland, uh, Americans are saying, I don't want my kids to have to live in fear because Washington does nothing. And nothing's going to change until we make that a top priority. But are you concerned at all that a proposal like the buyback is going to cost you support, create a backlash in states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, states the Democrats need to win? You know, I'm, I'm telling folks, 
keep your rifles, keep your shotguns, keep your pistols. We just want the most dangerous weapons out of the hands of the most dangerous people. And most gun owners believe that. You're probably... Yeah, they uh, they don't. <laughs> they don't believe that, Swollen Well. Uh, and you are one of the reasons why. Because you are a shithead, corrupt liar, and you're one of the reasons why they the don't believe the most it. dangerous people, and most gun owners believe that. You're probably best known for your role in the House Intelligence Committee, speaking out about President Trump in Russia. You've even suggested yeah. he's a Russian agent, saying he's betrayed our country. Now soak that fucking irony in for a second. This documented, compromised Chinese asset goes on the air and talks about Trump being a Russian agent. Out about President Trump in Russia, you've even suggested he's a Russian agent, saying he's betrayed our country. Any concern? Now, you could argue, you could argue, yes, but you see, he's just a senator and Trump's the president. Presidents and presidential candidates are at a higher level of scrutiny. Well, here is the asshat running for president right here. He took that too far. No, he acts uh, on Russia's behalf too often, puts their priorities ahead of ours. Just because he wasn't criminally indicted doesn't mean that he met the standard of conduct that we should expect from a president or a candidate for president. Oh, <laughs> that's... <laughs> he just took the words out of my mouth. What do you expect to see from Robert Mueller? I think you're going to see that this president, his family, his team... Uh, did not say no any time they were offered information by the Russians and eagerly asked the Russians to keep bringing more. And then once they came into power, took actions to help the Russians, reduce sanctions, uh, pulled us out of Syria. Didn't reduce sanctions. Pulling us out of Syria saves American lives. And you're the one that didn't say no to a Chinese spy who was willing to sell her body to get information from you. And, and just three months ago, even just three months ago, Swollen Well was on MSNBC still saying that Trump is compromised. Congressman, you're one of the lucky ones who's been able to read uh, Peter Strzok's book already. Uh, what, first of all, what did you hear? In oh, he's a congressman, not a senator. If I, I, think I, I think I said he was a senator earlier, which my bad. In uh, Rachel's interview tonight that struck you. Well, thank you for having me back, Lawrence. I am concerned that we don't know what we need to know about Donald Trump to protect the country from what Russia has on him. We, we have deep suspicions and all of the arrows continue to point in the same direction. And when I was a prosecutor, each new witness that I interviewed, you would always chart out whether the information they're giving you points more toward guilt or if it points toward innocent. And it's like he's talking about himself. He's from California. So is Nancy Pelosi. So is Dianne Feinstein. Am I starting to see a theme here? And this information, you know, doesn't need to be shared with anybody. And this is what I warned you about after the election. Right after the election, I said what you're going to see is the media simply will not cover anything wrong with the Biden administration. And the only outlets that will will be continually and constantly discredited. And the only thing that we can do as people who want to remain intellectually honest to themselves is take each story and weigh it on its own. And what I get from this swollen whale story is that he had clear and obvious connections to China. But nothing was done. They cleaned it up. They tidied it all up. And even knowing what happened, Nancy Pelosi still, still backed him, got him on that intelligence committee. This should be talked about. The people need to know 
Do you think most people that vote in California have any idea this is going on? No, of course not. Several House Republicans are demanding the removal of California Democrat Eric Swalwell from the House Intelligence Committee. Swalwell is under fire for his ties to a woman accused of being a Chinese spy. I think Nancy Pelosi needs to explain, too, why she put Eric Swalwell on the House Intelligence Committee. I believe Speaker Pelosi has addressed this issue. She's got full confidence in Representative Swalwell. We should always be vigilant to follow the code of ethics. I don't know any of the details of this case. No member should be surprised because we've been briefed about this. I think if a Republican had be doing, had done this, uh, Swalwell would be the first person to call for them to be booted from the Intel Committee. Especially when you look at just... All, all of the stones that were turned over. I mean, the New York Times paid staff to dig through Trump's garbage to try to find tax information. They're cl- they were clearly willing to dig in. But when it comes to things that are a little suspicious about Swollen Well or, God forbid, a presidential candidate like Joe Biden, we heard nothing. Swalwell was running for president. That should have been known by the public. I mean, he never had a shot. But if they cooked the books, if they decided Swollen Well was their guy and they cooked the books for him, well, then we'd have a president who was clearly compromised by China. I think the people should know about that. Don't you? Just like I think the people should know about the Biden's relationship with China, whatever it is, the family relationship, what's there? But of course, there's just simply... No evidence of such a thing. I just want to deal in fact, because there is so much speculation out there, and there is zero evidence that Hunter Biden or Joe Biden did anything wrong here. We should note, again, you, you and I have said this on the air many times, there is no evidence that Joe Biden was you know, involved in any wrongdoing. Of course, I want to note that there is no evidence that Joe Biden or Hunter Biden has done anything wrong. I just want to reiterate. And let's be clear for the viewers. There is no evidence Biden did anything wrong. I'll note again because it's important. There is no, I repeat, no. There is no evidence that either Biden did anything illegal. There's been no evidence. There was no evidence. There's no evidence. There is no evidence. There is not an iota of evidence. No No evidence evidence Biden Biden did did anything anything wrong. wrong. There's really no evidence that Joe Biden did anything wrong. Nobody's ever accused uh, that, I mean, there's no evidence whatsoever that Joe Biden did anything wrong. Got that? Joe Biden did nothing wrong. Hunter Biden did nothing wrong. No, of course not. They did absolutely nothing wrong. Uh, I was crazy for talking about it. And that that was that was even even in light of the laptop. So that was back. That, by the way, was in 2019. Then the laptop came out. The laptop showed all kinds of emails that suggested that there was access being sold. Of course, there's pictures of his dick and him smoking crack and all kinds of stuff that seemed to be clearly from a laptop. Now, how that laptop actually got into circulation, well, that could be investigated for sure. But even then, we were told, no, 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 no. Don't read. Don't believe what you read on the Internet. There's no evidence of anything in that laptop. Biden secret emails. A really fishy story. The Post claimed that the emails were found on a laptop computer that was brought to a repair shop in Delaware in the spring of 2019. The FBI is now investigating whether those alleged Hunter Biden emails are actually connected to a larger foreign intelligence operation. They may be related to a foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence operation. For all we know, 
These emails are made up. The information found on the laptop may be part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Part of a Russian uh, disinformation uh, effort. Described by many intelligence experts as having hallmarks. All the hallmark, hallmarks, rather. All the hallmarks of a Russian. Or Russian. Russian disinformation. Russian disinformation. Disinformation campaign. This is a classic example of the right-wing media machine. Yeah, even 50 former intelligence officials signed a document saying this had the earmarks of a Russian intelligence campaign, this Hunter Biden laptop. There's no meat on this bone. And that was the official line until the week I was off. When Hunter Biden himself released a statement acknowledging he was under investigation by the FBI. Hunter Biden himself said it because it was about to. So turns out. Turns out the attorney general, Barr, who apparently was Trump's henchman, according to the media, was sitting on this the entire time, keeping it a secret. This bombshell information because he didn't want to impact the election. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. He's real stooge for Trump (laughs) because he sat on it. That would have changed the game. Turns out, though, there's not one. FBI investigation. There's not two. There's not even three. There are that we now know of four federal investigations into Hunter Biden and the Bidens. Good evening, everyone. I'm Martha McCallum, and this is the story breaking right now. We have just received word tonight of yet another federal criminal investigation into the Biden family that appears to be focused specifically on Hunter Biden's business dealings with China and his relationship with Burisma Holdings in Ukraine. So this is now the fourth federal investigation that has been reported in recent days. According to the New York Times, it was launched by agents in Pittsburgh at the request of Attorney General William Barr based on information that he received and forwarded to them from Rudy Giuliani. So it raises a lot of questions about what was going on with Hunter Biden, with his uncle Jim, and potentially their U.S. and foreign business deals. Who was involved in them? What exactly were they selling? And why, in one instance, was a diamond given to Hunter Biden in return? So one of the investigations has been going since 2019, and that is uh, the one that involves the diamond, I believe, which is an interesting story. In fact, I've got several of these stories linked in the show notes if you'd like to read them on your own. Uh, there's one in, there's one in there where uh, there's an email that shows that Jimmy Biden, Hunter's uncle, is involved in some of the business affairs. Uh, there's another one where uh, Hunter is asking for keys for his dad and for Jill to have access to an office space that he shared with a Chinese businessman that is linked to the Chinese government. Uh, there was... Um, Several good ones that I linked in the show notes. It looks like he took about 400000 in payments from the Ukrainian energy company. Uh, he made about $1.2 million a year from another company. And uh, he referred to Jill and Joe Biden as his, quote, office mates, unquote, in the workspace that he planned to share with that Chinese emissary. But there's nothing there, right? No, no evidence there. Yeah, there's four separate investigations. So how about this one? Where did all the money go? And did they ever compromise themselves? Does China have anything that they could hold over the Biden family? Remember, their former associate, Tony Bobolinsky, 
had all of these similar concerns. Watch this. I remember looking at Jim Biden and saying, how are you guys getting away with this? Like, aren't you concerned? And he sort of looked at me and he laughed a little bit and said, uh, plausible deniability. Now, here's what's really going on. I mean, some people are going to try to use. I mean, this is clearly going to get used against Biden for as as much mileage as they can get out of it. Uh, It'll be the Republicans Russiagate, right? It'll be something that they try to make the case that it's going to impact the nation uh, and our security is at stake here. The reality is any well-established D.C. family is likely structured in such a way where Interested parties, be it rich businessmen or nation state leaders or um, even just nation state officials, can buy access to these people. I mean, I don't mean to say it's not a big it's not an offensive thing. It is. It is extremely offensive. And I would not like our president of the United States to have any involvement in this. And I think that if Hunter has been avoiding taxes by cashing in diamonds and claiming their family heirlooms, he should get busted for it. And I think Biden should have to be honest and that he shouldn't get an opportunity to squash the investigation and that maybe even a special counsel is necessary because if we took Russiagate so seriously, we should probably be taking this seriously. But here's my big problem with it is where the fuck does it end? Where does it end? Do we just continue to investigate every party in power in infinitum? Because that seems like a sign of a really fucked up country, one that can't get its crap together. And I don't think that's the path we want to go down, where we're constantly investigating and using the legal system as a political tool. And if you get out of office, it means that you have all of these legal threats against you. So you have extremely dangerous incentives to stay in office. I don't think that's where we want to be. And we're already veering towards that territory. So I'm not sure what I'm looking for in this. I think what I'm looking for is acknowledgement that it exists. That's what I want. I want us to acknowledge that this exists. I'm sick and tired of only talking about a narrow spectrum of allowed things about the virus, about politics, about sex, about religion, and about the news, and especially about the Bidens. And I want us to stop claiming that everything is Russian disinformation. Maybe that's part of it. It's like I want to see something happen because I am so sick and tired of it all being blamed on the Russians. Like this recent, this recent SolarWinds compromise that has affected several federal departments. Oh, it's a sophisticated Russian attack. Except for their password was something like SolarWinds123 or something like that for their update server. And they didn't follow basic things like enforced checksums. There's really some fundamentals that they didn't get right. It's like calling a phishing attempt a sophisticated attack. That's bullcrap. It's a basic level attack. And saying it's a Russian attack, it allows the people responsible for building the system like this to defer any kind of blame. They don't have to actually be held accountable for building a shit system that led to several federal agencies getting compromised. They don't have, well, nothing we could do. Russian, Russian estate actors, um, nation level attack, super sophisticated, highly sophisticated, probably hired by Putin. I saw one. I, saw, I actually saw one mother. I'm getting. I saw one. I saw one representative actually say that uh, my uh, my understanding is that uh, Vladimir Putin personally hired eight thousand hackers for this job, and instead of just acknowledging that SolarWinds screwed up big time. 
that their passwords were no good. That when customers called in and said, hey, this checksum's failing, they said, install the update anyways, they didn't look into that. The fact that some of their support documents on their website documented that you should probably exclude their product directories from antivirus scans. Oh, and by the way, on their blog in 2019, they shat on open source because it was easy to influence the updates and get access to somebody's system by impacting the update mechanism. I'm not kidding you. Isn't that tasty irony? But instead, instead it's a sophisticated Russian attack. Just like this bullcrap with Hunter Biden. Oh, earmarks. 50 intelligence officials. Earmarks. Earmarks. He's got all the earmarks. Oh, no, actually, no, the laptop's real. Investigation's uh, ongoing. Um, the FBI now has the, has the laptop and is looking into all of this. I, and I think I'm not the only one getting sick of it. I just have to talk about Russian disinformation. This is Senator Johnson, who was accused of the one spreading misinformation. Because the people peddling it are not on my side of the aisle. Senior Democrat leaders, including ranking member Peters... You know, we're involved in a process of creating a false intelligence product that was supposed to be classified. They leaked to the media that accused Senator Grassley, the president pro tem of the Senate, and myself of accepting and disseminating Russian disinformation from Andrei Durkash. I'd never heard of the person until they brought it up. So they create, they, they, they somehow... Get this information manufactured. Anything. It could be, it doesn't actually have to be a product of the intelligence agency. My understanding is it could be a memo that they have created and then they deem it needs to be classified and then they leak it. Senator Peters introduced that direct, that false information, Russian disinformation, into our investigation record. 50 people associated with the intelligence community during the, our, after our Hunter Biden investigation. And the revelations of the Hunter Biden computer said, oh, this is, you know, this is Russian disinformation. Now we find out, no, it's a real investigation by the Justice Department. So it's, it's just galling, and I just have to point out, that the purveyors of Russian disinformation, Hillary Clinton's campaign, the DNC, the Steele dossier, the ranking member Peters accusing Senator Grassley and I of disseminating uh, Russian disinformation, that's where the disinformation is coming. That's where the false information, the, the lies. The... Senator Peters is now on camera and does not like this accusation at all. It's clear that they've been having some sort of background conversation. The two, the two are already very hostile towards each false other. False allegations. I can't sit by here and listen to this and say that this is, this is not disinformation, this hearing today. This is getting information we have to take a look at to restore confidence in our election integrity. We, we're not going to be able to just move on without this is bringing a up— Senate, This is a Senate hearing on the 2020 voting irregularities, um, which was already controversial because how could you even look into any of their irregularities? How, how dare you be willing to access and, and, and question this information? How dare you? These irregularities, examining them and providing an explanation and see where there really are problems so we can correct it moving forward. Senator Paul. Mr. Mr. Chairman, I got to respond to that. I mean, 
So this is Senator Peters, the one that uh, created the memo and then leaked it to the press and then also submitted it into the investigation record. You're saying I'm putting out Trying. information. Well, one, I did, had nothing to do with this report. You, you lied repeatedly. You lied this. repeatedly in the press that I was spreading Russian, dis, Russian disinformation, and that was an outright lie, and I told you to stop lying, and you continue to do it. Mr. Chairman, this is not about airing your grievances. I, know what, I don't know what rabbit hole you're running down you right t- Senator uh, Senator Johnson isn't just having it. Go look up on YouTube. Uh, Grassley responds to Russian dif- disinformation. It's 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 meandering and slow, but it's an old it's old Grassley, and he calls him rations, ration disinformation. And I think anybody who uh, calls a Russian a ration probably isn't working for them. And he kind of just tears the Senator Peters up there too. But anyway, so Senator Peters has now been called out. He must defend his Talked honor. Talked about Russian rabbit holes. Senator Paul. This is simply not what we're dealing Senator with. Senator Paul. But, but Mr. Chairman, you can't make these false allegations and then dropping it there. That is why this Senator Paul. needs to return back Judge to its Star, Senator Paul. partisan things. This is, this, is, this is terrible what you're doing to this committee and all the great work that you talked about. It is what yes. you have done to this committee. It is not Falsely the accusing the chairman of spreading disinformation. Nothing could have been further from the truth, and you're spouting it again, which is why I had it's to respond. It really, is, it really is a disservice. You know, when you create these memos, oh, yeah, it's, that, that, oh, that, oh, the, the, the intelligence committee thinks that's Russian disinformation. But it's not actually a product of the intelligence committee, and then you go sub, you go leak that intentionally after it's been classified, so that way it's a salacious document that can be selectively leaked to the press. And you know, you may, what 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 makes these characters like Senator Peters tick? You know, your swollen wells, and your Adam Schiff's. You wonder if it isn't that they all have dirt, they all have skeletons in the closet. And so the leadership needs people to take certain things on. You know, Swollen Well, we need you to go on camera repeatedly and shit on Trump for Russia constantly. Same with you, Schiff. We need to lead that up. Now, Peters, it's your turn. And if you don't play ball, we'll re- we're going to release information that we have on you. If you do play ball, we're going to support you all the way up to running for president. I mean, you have to wonder, why, why do they do it? Perhaps they believe, but... You could tell that guy had been called out. And there was a background conversation that they'd had where he said, stop doing this, and he didn't stop doing it. I think that's fascinating. There's a, there's, there is such a, um, a whitewashing that happens with, uh, with when you see, oh, it's Russia disinformation. Oh, Russian talking points. I noticed they haven't been using the Russian bots thing as much. Maybe that's because the, show, the social media networks are playing ball. I don't know. But it's been, it was really, watching that, I, I, I just dropped all the election coverage stuff I had. I think you guys know what's going on with that. At this point, the uh, Electoral College has picked Joe Biden. And um, things are proceeding just as we expected. Uh, for better or for worse, I think, you know, you go through that, you look at how the media covers stories around Joe Biden. Um the clear state that he's in, I'm not really, uh, I'm not feeling good about it. I don't think it's, I, I think we need this kind of information, this kind of conversation that you and I are having right now more than ever as we go into the next four years. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. It, it just might not, it, maybe the climate has changed. I sometimes, I wonder if the future of the show, if this, of a show like this is even possible. We will see. 
If you think it is, patreon.com slash unfilter. I could use your support over there. Um, and also keep your ear out for maybe new ways. I'll be looking to try to raise funds uh, in 2021. I want to end on Tulsi Gabbard, though. She is pushing forward on can- a cannabis bill. It seems like with the Democrat going back in the White House, all of a sudden the cannabis interest is strong. And uh, there's cross-party interest here. So this could be interesting. Here's Tulsi. Recognize. A gentleman from Texas Reserves. Gentleman is uh, recognized. I think we'll reserve too, Mr. Speaker. Gentleman Reserves. Gentleman from Texas is recognized. Speaker, it is my pleasure to yield to the distinguished gentlelady from Hawaii. One minute, Ms. Gabbard. They're all gentleman working together. from Hawaii is recognized for one minute. Isn't this procedural stuff fun? Mr. Speaker, finally, this is a historic moment that so many here and across the country have been working towards to take this step to end America's destructive and costly war on drugs that has turned everyday Americans into criminals and torn families apart, ruining so many people's lives. This legislation removes cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act and frees states to regulate it as they choose. Also supported by Republican Matt Gates, I think is how you say his name, uh, Gates with a Z, and he goes after his own party for not supporting it. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. I'm also going to recommend a YouTube channel. Uh, go check out if you have not yet on YouTube. I'm going to play a little bit of it before as we get out of here. But of course, it's a YouTube thing, so it's better visually. So just go look at Awaken with JP. Uh, he has got he has started to get deplatformed by different social media because he is. He is doing what I do with this show, but he's doing it in a funny way, in a way that in a way that I think it makes people have to deal with a few common sense things, but with humor. And so I'll play a little bit of it for you to get an idea. But there's way more over on his channel. And that's going to wrap up the official plan productions for 2020. I, uh, I have a lot of housekeeping items that I need to just address. This has been a moving freight train since uh, bringing the network uh, independent again and then kind of, uh, well, first launching the show independently and then now having that. And it's been a lot. It's just been a lot. And so I'm going to try to spend some time taking care of that uh, unless something crazy breaks. Of course, I'll be back. I have the live stream and you can always get every single episode at unfiltered.show slash subscribe. And then if something happens and I break in with a show in the feed, you automatically get it. And I'm going to leave you guys with uh, JP. The world needs more bravery. 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 Bravery is refusing to get together with my friends and family that I love. Bravery is living in constant fear. Bravery is going into a fight or flight response when someone sneezes. I am brave. I am brave. I am brave. I'm brave enough to live in never-ending terror of a virus. I'm brave enough to know that politicians know what's best for me. I'm brave enough to follow orders. I'm brave enough to not reopen my business. I'm brave enough to protect my family from income. Instead of working, I'm brave enough to protect my family by letting them starve. I'm brave enough to know that self-induced poverty is in everyone's best interest. I'm brave enough to do as I'm told without questioning it. I'm brave enough to get my personal worldview from the media. I'm brave enough to dismiss all ideas that the fact checkers say are false. I'm brave enough to live in constant fear about what could happen to me. I'm brave enough to feel ashamed if I'm not wearing a mask in public. I'm brave enough to scream at people who are not as scared as I am. I'm brave enough to want to be tracked so I can be safe. I'm brave enough to know that I'm too weak to survive unless I get a mandatory injection. 
I'm brave enough to teach my kids to boldly fear human connection. I'm brave enough to keep my child from going to a school that doesn't require children to cover their faces all day. I'm brave enough to show my kids how to be obedient to all authority figures. I'm brave enough to know I'm helpless without someone telling me what I'm allowed to do. I'm brave enough to know that what they tell me to think is what I think.